Hello, welcome back to Talking Tomlet. I'm one of your hosts, Ardana Osman, here with my friend and Chad Ruta and Gordon. Our DAP today, Masach Abavakama, DAP Chav Page 28. So a couple of things that I want to mention about this uh, DAP. First of all, we have uh, Ben Bagbag appears here. Uh, and just to mention who he is a little bit, you'll see his name also in Perkei Avot uh, in the fifth chapter, in the second to last Mishnah of that chapter, though it escapes me right now uh, if that is Yud Zion or Yud Chad, but you can look that up. Um, and uh, he sort of, uh, what makes his Mishnah unique in Perkei Avot is he speaks in Aramaic, it's not in Hebrew. Um, it's not clear who Ben, Be- ben Bagbag is. Uh, he's presented with somebody called Ben Hehe in Perkei Avos, uh, but some people say that he might have been a convert, uh, and maybe you know lived around the time of Hillel, uh, because Hillel also speaks in Aramaic uh, in the Mishnah, uh, so maybe they somehow lived around the same time. But the other thing they say that's interesting about Ben Bagbag and Ben Hehe is is that they were converts, and the reason for that is is that Ben Hehe right is Ben Hehe like the letter Hey. Bagbag is Bet Gimel, which is the gematria together of five of hey, right? It has the numerical value of five. And we know that Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, when they changed their names, they added the letter hey. So that's why some of the commentators say that maybe they were actually converts uh, because there's this hint of hey. So I just wanted to point that out that he appears here. Uh, what the Gemara is going to spend a lot of time discussing, at least on Ahmed Aleph, is this idea of of of, uh, of Rabbi Huda, which is whether or not a person is basically allowed to take the law into his own hand, uh, which is Rabbi Huda's opinion, or do they need to sort of go to a court and the court is going to adjudicate it for them? And I want they bring many many tanitic proofs here to try to figure out it, can somebody take the law into their own hand? I want to read one of those cases. Um, all the cases and all the Tanitic proofs they bring are very interesting. Um, uh, but this is the one that I want to, uh, I, I'm just going to read, uh, I'm just going to read, uh, one of them that's here. And it, well, Adana, yeah. Adana, before you even dive in, I just want to note, right? Like there's great effort on this stuff to make the point that people cannot, should not, must not take the law into their own hands, right? It should not surprise us that that's the. Oh, yeah, that's where the top cup falls out. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. I think it is important to mention that. Yes, right. The end of the Gemara isn't to say you can take law, law into your own hands. They bring a lot of proofs to show you cannot do that. So um, here's one of those proofs, Tochma. So they're quoting here a Mishnah that's actually also in Baba Batra uh, on uh, Tzadi Tet on 99 that says, <laughs> So if somebody had a public path in the middle of their field, and so what does this person do? He basically takes over the public path and he makes an alternate path on the side of his field because the original path ran through the middle of his field, right? Which obviously is not a convenient thing to have if that's your field. And so he goes ahead and on his own, he makes an alternate path that's on the side of his field. And so the Mishnah goes on to say, whatever he's given, he's given. In other words, whatever he gave to the public as the new path, he's given. He's not allowed to take that back. And what he took of his, meaning of the original path, doesn't actually become his, right? Even though the public starts using that new path on the side of his field, they also can still use the original path. 
Now, if you want to say that a person can enforce law for himself, the owner can take a step and sit on the right and sit. Meaning, if we say you can take law into your own hands, in other words, you can basically change, you know, a public path and say, no, I'm going to move the public path and make it on the side of the road. So a person could basically just sit on their, you know, on that old path and sit there with his staff and basically hit whoever tries to pass through there um, and say that that original path now belongs to him. But in fact, right, and prevent people from using it. But the Mishnah basically says he's not allowed to do that. He can't enforce that law, even though it will cause loss to him, even though he's going to lose out because he gave up some of his land to make the new path and he doesn't really get to acquire the old path. Now, the Gemara rejects this and says, I'm a Rezubid Mashmeid to Rabba. So Rezubid says in the name of Rabba, So they said the rabbis made a decree of specifically about this case of moving a public path because somebody make, may give the public a crooked path. In other words, they may not make as convenient of a path or it may take people longer the way that it's around, you know, it goes around that property. And so the owner can't, you know, prevent people from using the original path. And that's why it belongs to the public. The Gemara is going to give another reason why you can't change this original path. Rav Misharshia, Rav Misharshia says, So the Mishnah specifically is talking about a case where the owner gave the public a crooked path. And in that case, the, the, the owner has no right to take away the original path because it, it actually causes the public um, some loss, and then they give another uh, uh, another uh, another example. You know, reason why that original path remains public property. Right, any path that shifted to the side is basically a crooked path. Because it's going to be closer for one person, person, and farther to another person. Right, whenever you move it it's going to be closer to one, right? You're shifting it. So it ends up being closer to someone, the new path and farther for somebody else. And so therefore the owner of this field doesn't have a right to do that. Now the Gemara is going to challenge us and say, right? right? Do we have to say that the owner doesn't acquire the original path? Why does he not keep what's his, right? Why can't he not reclaim the new path which he tried, let him at least reclaim that. Why does the Mishnah say once he designates that as a public path, he can't even take that back? Let him say to the public, take back what's yours, and give me back what's mine. So in other words, the Gemara accepts, okay, we understand what the, what the Mishnah is saying. You can't make that original path that belongs to the public. You're not going to be able to own that. But let's say you, you tried to do this, and you, um, you know, you move the path to the side. So, uh, you know, so wh- why can't he just take back that land that he gave up? So the Gemara says, Mishum de Rabbi Yehuda, right? So he loses the new path because of what Rabbi Yehuda said. So I'm a Rabbi Yehuda. Right? A private boundary strip, which the public performs and acts on, right? In other words, once the public starts using this, you know, area, which he gave up, the owner of the field gave up as public property, it cannot be ruined by the owner. So in other words, if once the, the public started using that path, right, in a way they make it a chazaka, they start to use it, 
and then the owner sort of can't the 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 owner can't come back and say hey i want to actually uh i i actually want to take it back and so we see in a way that when it comes to things that have to do with the uh with with the public right um you know th- there there's the the onus is really on the owner right he he can't mess around with anything with the public, right? He can't take anything away from the public. And if he gives something to the public, he also is not allowed to take that back as well. And so we really see that sort of uh, the, the public takes precedence over everybody. That That's really what I think this particular uh, example try, tries to teach us. Now, again, they're going to go through another proof there as well uh, to show whether or not you can take the law into your own hand. But I thought this, you know, this comes up with a lot of discussions, we would say, of eminent domain, right? Like, uh, that's more of like the government wants to take something away to use it for the public. But here we see this idea that even if you give something over to the public that was yours, once you give it, you are never allowed to take it back. I do think it's interesting and perhaps not surprising that the public wins, so to speak, right? That if you give it over to the public, the public has it. You don't get to reclaim it. Um but also, you know, again, from all of these different cases, if you want to establish your own law, like, no, there's no vigilantism, like, really allowed here. Oh, no, not at all. Okay. So I want to move to the bottom of Ahmed Al if we have a new Mishnah. Um, a lot of these Mishnah are quite short, you know, in terms of establishing new cases of damage. So we have a person who has a jug. And it breaks in the public domain. I'm reminded of the people, you know, particularly women who would carry the their baskets and their jugs on their heads, right? Which is not necessarily what they were doing here in the time of the Mishnah, but it's just a, you know, otherwise, why are you carrying a pitcher, a jug in the public domain? So this is what they do. So now, because that jug fell and broke, there's water or liquid, right? But let's say water from the jug. And there's also the shards from the jug that are now in the public domain. Somebody else comes along and either slips on the water, you know, because it's wet or is injured by the shards. Now, Chayav, the owner of that bl- of that jug who dropped it, who where it fell in the public domain, has to pay the damages to the person who was injured from the from the jug that had fallen. Rebudo's distinction here, I think, is really important. He says you know, he says it as a caveat, if the owner acted with intent, right? Meaning he throws down that jug to break it. And of course, water goes everywhere and the shards are everywhere. Well, then then he's going to be liable. But if the owner acted, meaning the owner of the jug acted without in- intent, it slipped out of his hands unintentionally. Somebody else came and knocked him and it flew out of his hands. We can come up with all kinds of cases where there's very clearly no intent to to drop or break the the jug, well, then then he would be exempt, according to this Mishnah. I'm, I'm sorry, according to Rabbi Huda. So the Gemara goes on, taking Rabbi Huda's position. I'm a Rabbi Huda, I'm a Rav. Losh, it's a different Rabbi Huda. I'm a Rabbi Huda, I'm a Rav. Loshanu, ela shetinfu kelav b'mayim, avalhu atzmo patur. So the Gemara says that Rabbi Huda said, the Rav said, that they taught, like they, the sages, right? They only were talking about a case where the clothes of the person who fell were now dirtied by the water, let's say that was in 
I guess now on the ground, right? The water hits the ground, it's muddy, the clothes now get dirty. But if the person himself is injured, then the owner of that jug is going to be exempt. He doesn't have to pay. Why? The ground is what causes the energy. The, is what called the injury. Meaning, the person who falls and is injured by the fall is the owner isn't the owner of the jug that he slipped on or whatever is not considered the the responsible party here because the ground itself is what caused the injury. I feel like you know before they really were talking about gravity here they're talking about gravity. It's an interesting it's an interesting like separate discussion. To what extent do you blame the ground instead of blaming the person who enabled or facilitated the fall to begin with? Rabbi Huda continues, Ki Amrita Kamei de Shmuel. He says, I, I brought this, this position of Rav, in front of Shmuel. Amrali Mikhtei Avinosakinov Masao Miborola Madnu. He says, One second, we derived that whole case of damages from that classic case that we talked about before, which is on the early dapim of, of the first chapter of Babakama, right? Of if you have a stone, your rock, your knife, your, your bundle, right? And what are we learning from that? We're learning the case of a pit of bore, you know, again, in the public domain, something that is immovable. It is not movable. It is inanimate. It causes damage. So it, he goes on to say, well, with regard to all of those cases, then we're going to say it's like an ox, right? I Meaning depending on the circumstances of the exact damage, it's like an ox, but not a person or a donkey, but not vessels. What does this mean? That there are times, right, where we're going to say that there's going to be an exemption, um, depending on how you derive the principles to begin with. So when you say that stone, knife, load, all of those lead to pit, right? So then all of them, we end up saying that it's what would happen if your ox, your donkey would fall into the pit, right? You dug the pit, but, all, you know, you weren't doing it to capture an ox. What if it's an ox falls, but not a person? Or you have a donkey. The verse is explicit, an ox or a donkey, but not vessels. Vessels breaking in this pit is a whole separate halakha. So now the Gemara goes on to say, this statement is only going to apply if a person fell into the pit and indeed was killed. But if a person was damaged, oh, I'm sorry. So then, then the person who dug that pit would be exempt, right? Because we're talking about an animal being killed, we're not talking about a person being killed. It's a very, very strange halacha. But if we're talking about damages, then we would say that the person who dug the pit is liable to pay for the injury for the person, but would not have to pay damages for vessels. Why? Because, because there's no the the case of the 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 damage being caused here is the distinction between damage versus death. But the distinction of the of the vessel that's here, right? Like you don't end up with a situation of the impact from the pit. And the, again, the commentaries here bring the, the point about the ground and they say it's because it is an impact from the ground, the owner does not have to pay. And the Gemara goes on to address Rav and with that we'll stop. Rav Rav is going to address this and say all of this, you know, this case of deriving it from bore, from pit, is only going to apply in the case of um, of of when one has given up ownership over the items. 
Davkarinhu. They've rendered them hefker. He's he's relinquished his ownership. But in a case where he did not relinquish his ownership, then it's like any other case where a person's property causes damage. And the fact that it happens to have these particulars is fundamentally irrelevant, according to Rav. You would have to pay the damage and you have to pay it, even if it's caused to the vessels, not just to a person or personal injury, whatever, or a, indeed to the animal. Um, I want to note that this Mishnah makes it all seem very, you know, a very clear case that we just have to explore the parameters. What happens in the Gemara is it actually goes much further afield to than even just the basic example of the jug that breaks to say, well, how does that then compare to our bigger principles, like, you know, a pit in the public domain and so on. Um, and that's where the rest of the Gemara, we're not, I'm not continuing on the DAF, but that's where the rest of the DAF goes. Well, I think it's interesting what it does. In other words, when you read the Mishnah, it's kind of a standalone case. And then Rabbi Shmuel come and, you know, and sort of the Gemara comes to say, okay, but let's go back to our original Mishnah and how does it fit into the four damaging categories? Yes, thank you. You said that much better than than I did. That's exactly right. It's, it's exactly right. The the particular and the general here have an interplay that I think is not exactly what we're used to seeing. Right. And I'll I'll just think back to our episode yesterday where we talked about how the parak ended with sort of these very out there cases. And here you sort of see a different methodology where the Gemara is saying like, okay. Any permutation you come up with, we're always going to bring it back to the basic cases of damagers and what cat and everything has to fall into a category. Right, right. Well said. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 